Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. Welcome to this service again. Hopefully you've been blessed so far. <clears throat> I know I have with some of the thoughts that were shared about abiding in Christ. And uh, that is the key to live the victorious Christian life, I believe, is to abide in the vine where there is life-giving strength for our uh, day-to-day trials and day-to-day temptations and struggles that each one of us may face. So before we uh, start, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for your many blessings to us. Thank you for all you've done for us, that you are a God that loves us that you're a God that cares for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to yield our lives to you as living sacrifices, that we could be a light in this dark world, that we could be a testimony for Jesus, and that we could be a salt that um, the world is looking for. Father, the, uh, the, uh, that we could be an example, Lord, that we would not taint your testimony, uh, the name of Jesus. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I feel a little bit unprepared, um, but I'm not sure if I can quite fill the slot of time that I have been given, but I trust that what I have to say can be an encouragement, and uh, I feel like my thoughts aren't quite all together in my head, so I might kind of stick to my notes, so uh, bear with me if I kind of feel like I'm reading a lot. But uh, this morning I'd like to talk about, I believe, a very important part of the Christian life and maybe the answer to um, hopefully having a, a real relationship with the Lord and uh, that our Christian life could be a reality in each one of us and not just a uh, form. <clears throat> For a few verses... Let's turn to uh, John 13. That last song that we sang about having more love for Christ is breathing down the same avenue that I have been meditating on the last couple days. So John 13, I'd like to break in kind of the middle of the story. There, the chapter beginning in verse 31. <clears throat> beginning in verse 31, John 13 says, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Now if you think of this scenario a little bit, here here Jesus and his disciples were all together, and Jesus revealed revealed to all them who's going to be the traitor. And he went out. Now, if you imagine yourself in that room, how would that feel? Jesus just kind of said, what's going to happen? And he goes out. 
Why the conversation then about a new commandment? Why did he say what he did? I mean, wouldn't have that been kind of an interesting, I mean, um, what would have there been to say? Everybody would like, Judas, the, you know, one of us. Um, it's interesting what he says. And this here is what came to mind as I, as I thought about that. Up until that point, a lot the people around the, the whoever, you were kind of considered a disciple of Christ by being with Jesus. You were kind of considered, considered a disciple of Christ by the way you acted. You were with Jesus. People knew. That's how you were defined as kind of a disciple of Christ. So I think Jesus was trying to put in their minds that that's all going to change. Now, for people to know that you are a disciple of Christ will no longer be necessarily the people that you are with, the group you're in, the family you were born by, in the, uh, your scenario, but it is this. It is, by this shall all mine know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. And I think that was a little bit different than it was up until that point. Up until that point, it was they were with Jesus. That's how people kind of knew they were his disciples. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one for another. And he had just said this. He had given them a new commandment in a tense moment like that. Can you imagine? It seems a little bit different to, uh, to have him say, but I think it was very important. There's a story I'd like to read, and it's a little bit of an uh, imagination story. One day, four men brought a crippled man to Jesus. Still and lifeless, he lay upon his bed. He hadn't moved since he was just a baby, so he longed to become a normal man. Now, we don't know much about the men that carried the four corners of his tattered bed that day. But if we may create an illustration, we'll see what these men might have had to say. Suppose the first man said, I hate to doubt it, for Jesus touched my eyes when I was blind. He made me see, there's no doubt about it, but this man's needs are more serious than mine. Suppose the second man said, no need to bother. This man's condition will remain the same. Though Jesus touched my hand when it was withered, I don't believe he could heal a man so lame. Suppose the third man said, I hate to question, but no one here is more skeptical than me. Though Jesus cleansed me when I was a leopard, this helpless man will never walk, you see. Then every eye was turned to the fourth man to see how he might criticize and doubt. But all three men were startled with amazement when that fourth man stopped and said his name out loud. He said, you know, my name is Lazarus. Could I testify? My name is Lazarus. It feels good to be alive. When in chains of death was, when I in chains of death, death was bound, This man, Jesus, called me out. If you think your problem is too big for him to solve, take it from the one who heard the mighty voice of God, a living testimony of his death-defying touch. My name is Lazarus, he said out loud. 
That name, when Jesus shouted or called into that dark dungeon, he said, Lazarus, come forth. That very voice is the same one that to all those that are born again spoke and called us out. That very name, that very, that very voice. He's the one that will call into somebody's dark dungeon of despair. Sometimes we find ourselves in a dungeon of despair. That same voice will call out like he did in the story of Christian and uh, Hopeful when they were caught in that dungeon of despair. And all of a sudden, Christian remembered that key that he had. That voice brought it to him. And we can rest assured that that same voice is still speaking to us today. That same voice that brought Lazarus back to life, called in that dark dungeon. That voice is still speaking to us today. But we have to listen to that still small voice. And it's still just as powerful today. It, is, it has not lost its power. Though the, waves, it's, though the waves look high, though the darkness seems dark, that voice has still the same power. And that voice said, By this all men shall know you, and shall know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So I think it behooves us, and it's important for us to listen to what this powerful voice has to say. And to evaluate, how am I doing in, uh, in this life that is so, in these temptations, and how am I doing in my Christian life? How am I doing? Among the pearls of the last days, none is more subtle than the one Jesus predicted in Matthew twenty four twelve. You think about that. In all the pearls today, no guns are as subtle, no guns are as big, no temptations... And it says in Matthew twenty four twelve, it says, And because iniquity, iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And I believe that happens so subtly and slowly. That is why it's so dangerous. Our love begins to wax cold. And we begin to lose our testimony and maybe even our discipleship with Jesus. Christ's first concern is not regarding our doctrine, even though that can be important, but our love. Doctrine is the channel but not the living water that flows therein. A dry channel helps no one. Peter's doctrine was right. He openly acknowledged, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16. Yet later he denied Jesus. Why? Because his love for him did not surmount the love for himself. When the Lord later commissioned him, he did not ask Peter whether his doctrine was straight. Thrice, he denied, thrice he, he asked him, lovest thou me? The master was not concerned about Peter's doctrine, but his love. He knew if he had that, he had everything. Does God have all of our love? Does God have all of our love? Or do we find ourselves doubting? Like in that story I read, those four men, it's, it's kind of made up, but those four men that carried that lame guy to, to Jesus, they doubted. They doubted the power of God. This problem is too big for God. Neither is our zeal the most vulnerable target of attack. The Ephesians church had all the zeal that Christ could desire. I know thy works, I know thy labor and thy patience, and has borne and has borne and has patience, and, has, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Yet this is the church that had lost her first love. 
one can be so zealous in giving to give his body to be burned and find that without love it profits him nothing. 1 Corinthians 13.3 How is my love doing for the Lord Jesus? And is it a testimony to the ones around us? Even our knowledge is not the chief concern of, God, of Christ. To grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Jesus, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 is one thing, but to know... But to grow in knowledge alone is another. Knowledge increases one's responsibility. James 3.1 says, But it is not security unless it is harnessed to his will and directed by his love. Christ's blessing comes not by knowing, but in doing. If we know these things, happy or blessed are ye if you do them. John 13.17 says, what? No, that was John 13.17. One may have knowledge, but without love he amounts to zero according to heaven's calculation. And though I have all knowledge and have not love, I am nothing. That, uh, that's a challenge to me. It, uh, it's nice to know things and to have our doctrine straight or have, know the Bible and stuff, but do I have the love that will be able to surmount the... Uh, the criticism I may get or the temptations that come. Am I willing to just lay my reputation on the altar for the sake of Christ? <clears throat> Love is the badge of discipleship. By this shall all men know you, know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Love cannot be counterfeited. That is why it is a safe test. And that we see so much in our day. People call themselves Christians, but the neighbors say, it doesn't match. And then somebody walks up to him and says, there is something different about that person. You know, we've heard it. And is that my testimony that, that people say, there is something different about that guy. He doesn't respond like we think, like he might want to or whatever, you know, whatever the temptations may be. <clears throat> how, is the, how, is my, how is my test that is why it is a safe test. Love cannot be counterfeited, as hard as people may try. Love is the irrefutable evidence that convinces the world. It has more weight than tons of debate. It was not Stephen's defense before the Jewish council, but his death that convicted the young man named Saul. Not Stephen's message, not Stephen's message was not Stephen's message, but his unquestionable love for his master brought conviction to this proud Pharisee. It burned into his conscience like a hot poker. Years later, after he referred to it, Stephen's victorious death, not his... Stephen's victorious death drove Saul to Tarsus in the, into the arms of his Savior. <clears throat> it doesn't matter how good we are in debating. It doesn't matter how good we are in answering quickly the questions that may come to us i mean that's good to to know you know what we believe and stuff but that's what brought the conviction that proud little pharisee when he saw the love that stephen had for his master <clears throat> love puts a joy in the heart and a song on the lip it puts, it puts rejoicing and singing in our hearts for the, for the love and the joy that we have for our Lord. 
Criticism and complaining are evacuated because of thanksgiving. Always for all things has moved in if we have that, that love and joy that comes from laying ourselves on the altar and knowing that Christ is all we need. <clears throat> Paul and Silas, with backs bleeding and feet in the stocks, raised a song of praise that shook the prison to its foundation and the jailer to the depth of his soul. Their hearts were full of love instead of grumbling. And I think we probably all heard, know that story, but there was something different about those prisoners. And that's what brought the jailer to repentance. Since love holds this high priority, it is no wonder the enemy seeks to cool it. The expression waxing cold or wax cold literally means to make something cold by blowing upon it. The abounding iniquity of the last day brings a satanic chill spawning in the dry ice of indifference and blowing over the king's banquet table till the hole is unplatable. Basically, in other words, I think what is so, like I said earlier, what can be so subtle is this cool breeze that the devil likes to blow over our Christian life. Things that I mean, you can put in the blanks what it may be. Things that just, just kind of cool us off. And he knows that when that happens, when our love for the Lord cools off, he has gained what he is after. The form is still there, but the warmth is gone. How can the king receive from our hands an offering that even though it still has the correct appearance, is nothing but dry ice. Such offerings like a soggy stack of pancakes are fit only to spew out. I don't think anybody would like a soggy stack of pancakes. Coldness. Coldness is contagious because it affects our relationship to others. It can tend to, it can tend to make others cool too. In our work for the Lord... When our love has waxed cold, our relationship to others is evident by our criticism of them. The servant who says, My Lord delayeth his coming, is not disappointed because of it, for he has grown cold. Consequently, he begins to smite his fellow servants. And it must not be forgotten that some of the deadliest smiting is done with the tongue. That's what happens when we... And that can be a little bit of an eye-opener. You know, we say, ah, God isn't coming yet. The Lord delayeth his coming. Jesus isn't coming back yet for a while. I don't have to be so so zealous or make sure that I'm living right. That's what happened in that story in Matthew 24. My Lord delayeth his coming. He's not disappointed because of it. He's grown cold, and therefore he begins to smite his fellow servants. What a tragedy. What a tragedy on the... Traversity on the grace of God and the testimony of his people to find a congregation so torn apart as to leave nothing but splinters and families and relationships. And a lot of it has to do with our love for the Lord, I believe. The Bible says, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you won't be consumed. That's a scary thought. I'd hate to be bitten and devoured by one of some of you guys. Obviously, in such a group, neither love to God nor other nor to one's neighbor has prevailed for long suffering and for love is long suffering and is kind. 
When our love has waxed cold, our work for the Lord begins to sag. Love is the essential service, a mild proclamation of Christ's platitudes will never arrest, never arrest the multitudes traveling the broad way, but one example of love to the death will halt them to consider. Giving our lives, living a living a living sacrifice. Love service is liquid heat. It performs ministries that will not be done from any other motive. Such ministries are going the second mile, giving our cloak as well as our coat, because if Ephesian church had left their first love, they had also left their first works and returned to the a return to the first love means to return to the first works also. Without love's constraining power, our motives are gone. Brendan had a very good uh, message on intentions uh, last Sunday. Our intentions are wrong. Without love's constraining power, we, we do things for the wrong motives. We do things with the wrong intentions, or it can so easily happen. Maybe even by accident, but if we are, if our love is burning hot and that the people around us know that something is different, our motives will be right and for the glory, for God's glory. <clears throat> working, mere, working merely from a sense of duty will carry us scarcely beyond our personal interests. So say nothing of our overripe harvest fields that awake the sickle of the reaper. When Arden is gone, the chariots drag without the wheels or altogether stop. From here, it is, from here it is but a step to eating and drinking with the drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in an hour that they are not aware of. When our love has waxed cold, our relationship to the Lord is affected. In fact, it is our relationship to him that governs all the other relationships. Love will keep us at our post, disregarding ourselves and living only to please our Lord. Blessed be the servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him so doing. Loving one another. Let us make no excuse because of our religious experience or supposedly spirituality. The Ephesian church, with all its zeal and steadfast, was called upon to repent. This was the only course left, for though they were still on a high spiritual level, level, they had fallen from their former higher level. So it depends where we are in our life. We can't use where we are as, a, as an excuse or as a stepping stone. We have to be able to find that zeal and love within ourselves. And, and we can't say, because I'm part of this church or that, that therefore... Because God calls each one of us to repent and uh, cultivate that life that he is looking for. <clears throat> Act at once. The master points out our condition in order that he might cure us. But unless we acknowledge our need and humble ourselves before him, there is no alternative but to remove the candlestick. And I wondered um, when I was thinking about this, about acting when the Lord calls. When he called into Lazarus, Lazarus and he woke up. Now we would think that, oh yeah, we, did, we would just look forward to being alive again. But do you think that's actually how he felt? 
I don't know exactly where one goes. I mean, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. But what if he had laid there in his death claws or whatever and thought, I don't want to go back to this life. I want to be dead. I wonder what would happen. But sometimes we find ourselves a little bit in that scenario. When God calls us to do something that may may be hard for us to do and and may hurt our reputation, and we don't want to do that, you know, that's not fun. I don't know if that's how Lazarus felt or not. Probably not. But we don't want God to take away our candlestick, remove it. <clears throat> During World War I, gas attacks became prominent. But the gas was odorless and therefore deadly. Its presence was undetectable. The men in the trenches devised the expedient of taking canaries with them. When these little birds were found drooping and dying, then the soldiers knew the gas was in the air and they hastened to their gas mass. That's, that's amazing how that works. You have this gas floating around out there that nobody can... Nobody can smell, and it begins to make you sick and dizzy, or at least they did in World War I. And uh, I believe the devil is out to breathe this gas over Christians and cool them off and make us undetective. We need to get our gas masks on and be on our guard. Keep the melody of God's love ringing in our heart. Love for the Lord puts his song in the heart. But when the love waxes cold, the song begins to die. His praise ceases in your, his praise ceased in your life. Are his praises ceasing in your life? Are you fretting against the fretting instead of singing? The silence of the songbird is the signal for alarm. The gas attack is on. The love of many is waxing cold. The deathly atmosphere of the last days is putting many Christians to sleep. Are we one of those that are getting put to sleep? Why don't we turn to Mark 13, verse 35. Mark 13, verse 35 to 37. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master or the, of the house cometh, at evening, or at midday, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. That, I believe, is an important calling for each one of us in this day is we need to watch. We don't... If you've ever been so tired that you can hardly stay awake, I know I have been already, and I was thinking of those disciples in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane where they just kept falling asleep. Their heads kept just... could, And that is a horrible feeling where you just can't hardly stay awake. It's just a very uncomfortable feeling. And I believe for our spiritual lives, that is something we have to be aware of. It is something that uh, Mark says here, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and we are not ready. 
and the admonition is to watch and to be aware that this uh, poisonous gas is around. And I believe the devil knows that if he gets us groggy and foggy and sleepy, he's got us. And our testimony hinges on it. And uh, the love of Christ, God's testimony hinges on it. Because if we do that, our senses become, become undetective or become, uh, become less sharp. So I hope that can be encouragement for each one of us this week. And a challenge that none of us are exempt. When Jesus called, when that powerful voice called, called us or all those that accepted him as their personal savior, called them to repentance, the battle is on and none of us are exempt. None of us. The devil is pouring that dry ice, trying to and putting out that poisonous gas. How is our love? And a good way to, good way to see that is how is our love one for another? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. That was a new commandment that God or that Jesus gave there in that room, and I believe it's still ringing out today. So let's take this uh, encouragement. I know I'm not exempt at all. It is something that I have to keep fighting for because I can feel the battle is on. God, the devil wants us to fall asleep, and we can't. Life is too short. Eternity is too long to miss it. And uh, so hopefully we can be encouraged to watch this week and just have that in our minds. If, if you're thinking about it, if we just forget about it, it's so easy to just kind of drone along. But if we think about it, we've got to watch this week. The devil's, out to, the devil's out to tempt me and lure me away. Let's, because uh, I want to see every one of us in heaven someday, and the devil doesn't. He wants us to, to miss it. So hopefully that's an encouragement. Hopefully it made a little bit of sense.